Hey everyone, and welcome to Seriously Risky Business, the podcast we do here at Risky Biz HQ with Tom Uren, where we talk through the newsletter that he's written, which goes out every uh, Thursday uh, here in Australia. The newsletter, of course, is called Seriously Risky Business, uh, and it is produced uh, with with help from our good friends at Lawfare. Tom Uren, thank you for joining me. G'day, Patrick. How are you? Good, good. So we're going to walk through the few topics that you've uh, covered in depth in uh, this week's newsletter. And we should point out too, this is the last uh, Seriously Risky Biz newsletter for the year uh, and indeed the last Seriously Risky Biz podcast for the year because uh, you're about to have uh, about a month off, which is um, is going to be very pleasant. So we're all back on the week of uh, Jan 8. Uh, but yeah, you've covered a few things here. The first is um, you've done a little bit of an analysis piece looking at the likelihood of election interference or cyber-enabled election interference into the polls in upcoming polls in 2024 in Taiwan, Russia and the United States. And really where you've arrived uh, in thinking about this is the place where we're most likely to see cyber-enabled interference uh, in uh, is going to be the United States. Yeah, so it kind of compares and contrasts the different situations in those three countries. And so Taiwan probably doesn't really need to be said, but I'll say it anyway, is of extreme interest to the PRC. And so there's the potted history is that PRC is very keen for Taiwan to remain um, a pretend country and so that they can maintain this fiction that Taiwan is not an independent country. Um, And the domestic parties, one is more pro-independence and the others are less pro-independence. So it's got all the motivation to want to interfere, but it's also the really huge brother compared to Taiwan. So there's nothing that constrains it at all. So it's got economic tools, it's got diplomatic tools, it can threaten military action, and it's doing all of those things. So in that context, it probably will do cyber-enabled interference as well, but there's so many other things going on that it's just part of the mix. Yeah, and And it doesn't, it's not going to be the thing that leaders in Taiwan are going to be most concerned by. Yeah, that's right. I think it's, three or four things you've got to think about it but it's not the be all and end all but the situation with the u.s and russia or the u.s and china is very different they're not going to threaten military action if the election swings one way or the other um so the you know the prc their taiwan affairs office has described that upcoming election which is in like the middle of january so very soon as a choice between peace and war um, now the PRC. Yeah, do you is- need to do? Do you need to do cyber interference when you've told people a vote for this party is a vote for war? I mean, that's probably going to move a few more votes than uh, some Twitter bots, right? I mean, I think it's interesting in the. I think it'll move more votes, but it's not clear to me whether it will move them in the yeah, way that direction? they want, right? Yeah. Like, I, I think you're right. It's a much bigger. Um, stick it's a much bigger influence on the election whether it gets what the prc wants i'm i'm actually a bit skeptical i think people tend yeah. to push back against that but anyway well i mean i mean it's it's the age old thing to where 
you know, trying to bomb countries into submission during military campaigns always has the opposite effect. It always causes people to rally behind, uh, you know, their leaders. And, um, you know, we've seen this. We saw this through World World War II. We've seen it in in a zillion places. But, yeah, it, 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 it strikes me that this could have a similar effect, which is if you vote for these people, it will make us very unhappy. So, you know... That being the desired outcome for a lot of voters, they yeah. you know might push them in that direction. I mean, one of the other examples I mentioned is that the Chinese government invited a whole lot of Taiwanese politicians to visit and subsidise trips. And I think that kind of thing is also going to be much more influential than a kind of cyber campaign. Yeah, the junkets. Yeah. Now, I think in the case of the US and either the PRC or Russia, those kinds of things are off the table. Um, mm. A large-scale come-and-visit-China campaign, I think, is <laughs> not going to have a lot of influence on a lot of politicians in the US. Like, that's just not going to work. Yeah, they're not Similarly, going to fly half of Congress over, right, uh, for, a, for a good time. And to, they might offer, but I think it, you would yeah. be foolish to accept given the sort of political climate. So I think there's a whole lot of options that are off the table, and that kind of leaves covert cyber-enabled interference is one of the options that's left. And so um, I spoke to Gavin Wilde, who is at the Carnegie Endowment, and he specialises in Russia and also looks in information warfare. Now, he thinks that Russia almost feels obligated to carry it out. (laughs) Yeah, like the norm here. This is funny. There's a quote in here where it's basically like, Less, uh, here's the quote. Uh, he said that it, this sort of interference is uh, less of a transgression of a norm, um, but, you know, it's more rigid adherence <laughs> to a <right>. norm. <laughs> this is, like, this is just what we do. <laughs> yeah. And I sort of categorise interferences. At the very high end, you've got interference in electoral processes or vote counting. Now, we know that in 2016, the Russians explored that as a possibility. They actually breached or attempted to breach a whole lot of different state electoral uh, organizations. Now, that doesn't seem like they pulled the trigger there. And probably the reason is that to actually carry it off successfully is quite hard because the US has got so many different systems that are all decentralized and do it their own way. But just even attempting and having some like minor success could undermine how people feel about the whole election. And and yeah. here we get into the whole morass that is US politics, where there's already people who claim that elections have been stolen. So it's that seems like something you really have to watch out for, because there'll be both Russian and domestic interests that could pick up on that. And so that seems like a high priority to counter. Mm. I mean, who knows whether countering it will actually help you out politically. Well, I mean, this is why, you know, Chris Krebs very early on in the 2020 election came out and said this was such a secure election, the most secure election in history, and uh, promptly was fired by tweet by Trump because, you know, really what he was trying to do as the official kind of responsible for the security of the election process, at least on the federal government side, is to instill that confidence in the in the yeah. voting public. Yeah I, yeah, I think you've got no option. You've got to go out there and try that, and then there'll be a whole lot of interests that will... Well, I think... I think- also, too, you know, you've got the uh, probably Trump will claim that China was trying to get uh, Biden elected while Biden claims that Russia was trying to get Trump elected. And <laughs> the thing is, they could both be right uh, at, at, at next year's election, which is um, kind of nutty. Although I don't really know that, um, 
uh, China would want to want to get uh, Biden elected, but yeah, I, I don't even know what China would want out of an out of an election in twenty twenty four. But I do know uh, that certainly Putin would 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 really want a Trump victory because of what Trump has signalled he would do in terms of the Ukraine aid going forward. Yeah, I think both countries, both China and Russia, have an interest in seeing the US be weaker, and so fomenting internal dissent is one way to get that. So even yeah, if you less don't... about the result, more just about chaos in the process. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's one possibility. So at the top level, there's interference with electoral processes. That's um, very damaging, even though it's unlikely to succeed. Um, there's a kind of middle ground of hack and leak. Wild thought that that's that sort of thing will probably happen. And the problem with that is that mostly it, when that works, that picks up on internal divisions that are already present in the country. And again, that's the morass of US politics. There's just a whole heap of fissures that could be exploited there. Um, and I am sceptical that you can stop every hack and leak. In fact, you can't. Like, there's just no way. There's too many, there's too much surface area. And so the way you have to tackle that is to actually get politics to work better, um, which again... And media as well, which you make the point. But the, the crazy thing is people kind of get... You, you, you kind of... You, I'm trying to think of a, of a, of a you know, more polite word, but you kind of screwed either way, right? You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, because we saw what happened with the whole Hunter Biden laptop thing uh, before the 2020 election where people were saying, look, probably Russian disinformation and everyone was super cautious. And look, there was definitely some shady politics involved in the way that thing was being passed around, but it did turn out to be, uh, you know, at least the, the data on the laptop uh, turned out to be real. So I think, you know, no one really quite knows what to do uh, in these situations after 2016. And it, it feels like we only get a chance to really think through this every four years when there's a US presidential election. So yeah. I'm, I'm real curious to see how it's going to shake out next year. Yeah, yeah. And if, <laughs> I mean, you know, it makes you long for the good old days of the Cold War where it was easy to tell who was good and who was bad. And <laughs> I think that was that. It was a different kind of polarisation that made elections easier. <laughs> and interestingly enough, uh, Gavin doesn't think that, uh, you know, the United States will try to do any sort of interference in... The, I mean, you know, it's a sham election in Russia, let's be clear. Uh, but he doesn't think there'll be any sort of involvement in the, from the United States in trying to, I don't know, uh, expose the election as being particularly shammy or anything like that. Uh, we've got a quote here from him. He says, in addition to being extremely provocative, escalatory and hypocritical, any attempt to meddle in their sham electoral process is fruitless any way you slice it. Putin isn't a candidate at this point. He's a system. Neither information ops nor hacks can alter such a resilient system. And, you know, he did a pretty good job of shutting down that whole idea in one paragraph, didn't he? Yeah, I, he was quite firm about that. And I think that makes sense as well. It, it, yeah. I think there's um, probably like some benefit in providing assistance to opposition groups, just in general. Uh, and trying to focus on an election, I think, makes no sense because um, there's, I think, almost nothing to gain and relatively a lot to lose. Even foreign funding of opposition groups, though, is a little bit, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. I think it's like I'm not talking about public overt things. I think that just in the 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 scheme of dirty 
geopolitics that's what makes sense more than trying to influence elections i think i think in the past when elections have been stolen it's because you've got a, a large power versus a small country and that's kind of when you think it can work for you like it never does work for people but people go i think maybe just in this case it will work (laughs) You can fool yourself. Now, look, another thing that you covered this week, we won't really talk about this one because I had a long chat about this with uh, Adam Boileau in yesterday's main Risky Business podcast, Um, but I just had to mention it because of the headline you gave it. This is, of course, a discussion or or an analysis of recent attacks against US water infrastructure by Iranian state-linked Iranian hackers. Uh, and you've given it the headline, Iran attacks our precious fluids. And I am just so ashamed that I didn't think of that headline myself. Uh, that is splendid work, Tom. Oh, thanks. Uh, and yeah, you've got some some great analysis there. But there's another item here, uh, number three, and I just love this and wanted to touch on this one briefly, where, you know, a really easy way these days to start finding uh, you know, automated chatbots that are doing propaganda is to just search for those open AI refusal of service strings, right? <laughs> so I cannot fulfill this request as it goes against open AI's use case policy by promoting hate speech or targeted harassment. I mean, if you just keep searching Twitter for that, you are going to find that uh, in, in replies and very quickly drill down and figure out, uh, you know, who is using ChatGPT to auto-generate tweets uh, along a certain political bent, right? And that's what's happened in this case. Yeah, yeah. So this is a report by Elise Thomas, who I used to work with. And she, yeah. I think, did a really good job in making uh, quite a serious but also quirky sort of rundown of this campaign that was targeted against Russian opposition figure Alexei Navalny. Um, and so, like, she writes... Uh, the chat GPT is very good at writing tweets, basically, but it has some quirks and some oddities, weird metaphors, unwieldy hashtags, a predilection for melodrama, a, partic- a peculiar fixation on food. And I just thought that was great. Yeah. Um, and so when you step back and you look at the whole body of tweets that you know are connected, you can see that sort of pattern. But when you look at any individual tweet, it actually looks very authentic. Yeah, terrific. Uh, I didn't realise that was Elise. Uh, Elise Thomas, uh, I've spoken to her in the past. Yeah, she used to work at Aspie with you and uh, is now at ISD. And yeah, I'm going to go off and read the full thing now. (laughs) Um, Tom Uran, thank you so much uh, for everything over 2023. Uh, You know, the newsletter has just been absolutely outstanding. Uh, You know, every edition, just solid gold. Uh, It's been such a privilege to to work with you through the whole year. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to another great year in 2024. Uh, Thank you so much, mate. Thanks, Pat. Great working with you too. It's been a pleasure. 